cool. So, I'm going to warn you, this message is going to start out a little serious, and then we're going to lighten it up a little bit. As most of you guys know, because I've shared my testimony a couple times, I started coming to church whenever I was in eighth grade. How many of you guys are in eighth grade tonight? Some of you guys. You guys are better off than I was in eighth grade. When I started coming in eighth grade, um, I was not a good kid. Like, don't get me wrong. I was not a kid who just went out and got in trouble. I only got ISP, or I guess you guys call IP twice, one in fifth grade and once in eighth grade. But I was not that bad of a kid. But my thoughts and my actions and my words, they were very bad. I also didn't believe that there was a God. During that time, I considered myself an atheist. I was never suicidal or anything like that, but I thought that if life just ended, that that would just be it. That would just be nothing. I remember one Sunday or one Wednesday, um, a guy named Rick, he would come into the lunchrooms and he'd invite people to church and he'd bring pizza for the people who went to church. And he invited my best friend, who at the time his name was Chuck, and so he's like, yeah, I'm going to go. Chuck was like, hey, you need to come with me. I don't want to go by myself. I was like, no, I don't want to go. Like, I don't believe in God. I don't do that stuff. I'm busy. You know, how, how many of you guys are busy in eighth grade? Wrong. You're not busy. I was not busy. I just didn't want to go. I, I talk to eighth graders all the time. Hey, you should come to church. I can't. I'm busy. No, you're not. I, w- I was busy too, um, but I wasn't really. Uh, so he went that week without me, and then he came back to school on Thursday. And he's like, dude, you have to go. Like, it's so much fun. Like, they gave out pizza. There's a gym. You can play basketball. There's so many girls, by the way. And I was like, okay, you know what? Um, maybe I'm not so busy after all, right? Like, I, I can make, let me check my calendar. I can make some room. Um, so I came, and I didn't miss a week. I came every Wednesday after that, um, not because I, I wanted to believe in God, not because I wanted to love God more or, or grow in holiness. Like, that wasn't even on my radar at the time. I came because it was the cool place to be. But slowly, my acceptance of God, it, it started to, I started to grow warmer with the idea of God as he was drawing me near to him. And I remember that spring, probably April or May, my youth pastor, he, he preached a message that still stands out to me today, but he did an altar call. And I did not raise my hand. I didn't come up to the front, but I started to pray and I started to believe um, and, and pray in my heart. But that summer, after going to church every single week for a few months now, I would have called myself a Christian. Like at that, like January, you've asked myself if I was a Christian, like, no, not really. Um, but that summer, I probably would have said, yes, I am a Christian. I've been going to church. But if you would have like taken that out of context and you just looked at my life, I would not have been a Christian. Like, you would not have been able to tell by what I watched, by what I said, the jokes that come out, the music I was listening to, the things I was doing. You could not tell I was a Christian. And without calling anyone out in this room tonight, I was a lot like some of you in here. Coming to church because it was cool, maybe going through the motions, hoping to just be good enough to get in heaven, as if that was what it was all about anyways. But all that changed in August of my freshman year. That, that August, my freshman year, at that point, I was coming to church on Sunday mornings. Um, for the first while, just coming on Wednesdays, and then and, and that summer, I started coming on Sundays. Um, so my youth pastor in a youth Sunday school class, come on, youth on Sundays, represent, still thing. Um, in, a, in a Sunday school class, he was teaching about the Holy Spirit. And while now I don't know how much I would have believed with what he taught, Something grabbed my heart that night or that morning, and I, 
I don't know how to explain it, but I desired something more. I desired a closer relationship with God. So we went to church, the service after that. I went on the rest of my day. And then I came back to Sunday night church. Sunday night church was a thing back then. We don't have Sunday night church really anymore. Um, It was mainly just for old people. But I went that Sunday night, um, and I came up to the front during the prayer time to have him pray for me to receive the Holy Spirit. And that was big for me. Like, I never have come up to the front before. I didn't want attention. I didn't want anyone to know I was even there. But I came up to the front and said, hey, will you pray that I receive the Holy Spirit? And so he prayed over me. Rick came, and they prayed over me that I received the Holy Spirit. Nothing happened. And Rick, he said, hey, when you go home, continue to pray for the Holy Spirit. And he told me, like, here's the first Bible I ever owned. He says, go in the back of that Bible, and there's a little thing called a concordance. You look up a word, and it's going to show you where in the Bible that word is. He says, look under S, find the word spirit, and then read the verses where it says spirit, and read, read them about the Holy Spirit, and then pray and ask God. And I'm, at that point, and this has probably never been opened before, still brand new, even though I had it for months. But I went, and I started to read those verses, and I started to pray, like, God, fill me with your presence. God, I want more of you. And it wasn't so much about what I was praying or what I was saying, but there was a deep hunger and a desire for God in my heart. And that night, something changed. I read my Bible. I saw God. I hunger and thirst. And I felt myself come alive. I don't know how else to explain it, but I felt myself come alive. I felt myself be transformed. And looking back now, like at, at what happened that spring, what happened that summer, what happened that night, I believe that that was the moment that I became born again. That was the moment I finally surrendered my life to Jesus. That was the moment I would say that I probably, I got saved. Um, I felt new. I felt empowered to share with everyone, all my friends, all my family, what God did in my life and then what he could do in their life as well. And I know that's not the um, experience that everyone experiences. And that might not be the experience that you will have or that you have had. But I came alive when I stopped going through the motions and when I wholeheartedly surrendered myself to Jesus. Now, that might not be the experience you have, but at some point, you need to ask yourself, am I different? Does my life look different now that I surrender to Jesus than before? Or am I just going through the motions? This is a salvation question. If you are saved, if you are wholeheartedly submitting and following Jesus, then your life will look different. That's not a question. That's that's what the Bible expects. Your life will look different. And if you're not different, if your life does not look any different now than it did when you started coming a year ago, then you're not living in surrender to King Jesus. If you're not bearing fruit, then you're probably not Saved is how the Bible would define it. Well, welcome to church today. You know, that's just a good intro right there. Uh, welcome to church. All right, week two of World Changers. Uh, last week, uh, shifting gears real quick. Last week, we started this series, World Changers, um, going through the book of Acts. We did Acts chapter one last week. Um, our friend Garrett preached a little bit. He shared his testimony. You can go back and listen to that on the Kawita Assembly Youth Podcast if you want to catch up on what he said. 
Um, last week, so we started the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a continuation of Jesus' story. So there's four Gospels. Luke, he wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote Acts. The Gospels is about all that Jesus began to do and teach. The book of Acts is what the apostles also continue to do and teach because they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And so we know from our King Jesus here, hello, that we did, um, a couple, a couple weeks ago, we know from that Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. He came to bring his presence to every person because that's what everybody needs. We talked about last week, Jesus came to reverse the curse of sin by becoming sin for us. He, he became sin. He died on the cross in our place, bearing our sin and our shame and our guilt. And as a result, when we choose to surrender to him, he reverses the curse that's happening inside of us, and he makes us new again. But we're not made new. We're not transformed. The curse isn't reversed inside of us just so that we can sit back and enjoy a good spiritual life. That's not why Jesus did that. He did that. We are made new so that we can go and make Jesus known everywhere. That is the Great Commission. That's how Jesus finishes the Gospels. He says, everything you've been learning for the last three years, it's so that you can go and make disciples of all the nations. And another part, he says, go and preach the Gospel to all creation. And then Jesus told his disciples right before he ascended into heaven in Acts 1-8, what we talked about last week. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So after hearing this from the story, we know that the disciples, well, of course, Jesus beams up in heaven, and so the disciples are confused. Um, but the disciples, immediately after hearing this, they go, and they begin to pray and to continue to seek God. They, and then they also elect another disciple to replace Jesus, or Judas. Um, if you read that, Judas betrayed Jesus, and then Judas kills himself, so he's gone. Um, so they need another disciple to replace him, so they did that. Um, and, but that's where we pick up Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. Um, if you have your Bible, that's what it will be, or it's going to be magically on the screen behind us, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to perfectly follow along because Garrett is hitting the slides, and he's not going to mess up. <laughs> okay, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues of flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astonished and amazed, saying, Look, aren't these who are speaking Galileans. How is it that each of us can hear them speaking in our own native language? Parthesians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phygra, <laughs> Pamphylia, <laughs> um, Egypt, <laughs> Familia, Egypt, um, and parts of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and comfort. By the way, if you don't know a Bible name or whatever, just say it with confidence and no one will ever know. Um, yeah. 
confidence. There we go. Cretans and Arabs. So they say <laughs> croutons and no, I'm just kidding. Verse 11, yeah. All those people from all over the world, those people, they are said, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. And they were all astonished and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. So let's go through this. No, go, go, go back. The day of Pentecost, um, it was a feast day that happened in Jerusalem where Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to celebrate. So think about it. People from every part of the world, they came to celebrate. And Pentecost, the literal translation of that, it means a, a 50th part. Right? Like, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but it means the 50 part, which is the literal translation, um, which basically means like 50 days after Passover. And that's, I mean, it's a very original translation. This is a holiday they celebrated exactly 50 days after Passover. So this is happening. This story is happening 50 days after Jesus was crucified. So put, to put that into context for you. Now notice what the followers of Jesus were doing. They were all together in one place. They were probably in the upper room, and they were probably still praying. And this is about 10 days after Jesus ascended to heaven. So between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, it's about 10 days. And they were praying and seeking God. They were seeking God and waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus told them um, a couple days earlier. So notice a a couple things. One is that they were obedient to Jesus' command. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit that the, that the Father has promised you. And the second thing, notice, is that they were seeking a deeper experience with God. That's what they were doing in that upper place. And then notice what God does. It says, suddenly the sound like a violent tornado from heaven, think, that's kind of cool, a tornado heaven, Filled the place where they were staying, and they saw tongues of fire separating and resting on each of them. And Jesus told them, and this is fulfilling what Jesus said. Jesus said, John the Baptist, he baptized with water, but I will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of fulfilling what Jesus said. And verse 2 and 3 talks about the wind and the fire. It says, suddenly a sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven. It filled the whole house, and they saw tongues of flames of fire separated on each of them. God's visible presence in the Old Testament, all the stories before Jesus, um, there's actually a word for that, so I'm going to tell you that just in case you have Bible trivia next weekend. It's called a theophany. I'm not making that up. Um, T-H-E-O-N-O-A-Y. No, I'm just kidding. I don't even know. Um, but God's visible. Should we? You guys don't want. Okay, we'll do Bible trivia sometime. Bible tree. But if you ever like are in jeopardy, like what is God's visible presence name? It's called a theophany. Uh, but God's theophany in the Old Testament, God's visible presence, it was always thunder and lightning and wind and fire. Like every time God's presence came from heaven, it was always a huge like hurricane or tornado of fire. Um, and so verse 3, 2 and 3, it shows us the outward sign, the outward expression of what God was doing. And then verse 4, it dives in and it shows us the, the spiritual thing that's happening inside of the believers. It says the believers, in verse 4, 
they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the word for filled, it's also, it could also mean baptized, immersed, or saturated with the Holy Spirit. And the, way, the best way I like to think about that is think about a sponge, and you squeeze it real hard, and then you put it in a glass of water, and you let it go. What happens when you pull that sponge back out of the water? It's saturated with water. That's the same where they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were immersed. They were submerged and baptized and, and immersed in the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the ability. And now the tongues that the believers spoke that day, they were not anything that they had ever learned before. And it is not something that they did on their own ability. It was languages they didn't even know. It was not their ability, but the Holy Spirit gave them that ability to demonstrate the Spirit's power and also fulfilling Jesus' command in verse 1-8. Think about it. One chapter earlier in verse 1-8, Jesus says, You will receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And so the purpose, the main purpose of the apostles being filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is for the empowerment of cross-cultural mission. And think about how strategic God is. He's like, I'm going to wait until the, all the believers are seeking me in one room. And then I'm also going to wait until that is in the same time frame as believers from all over the world come together and they hear these people speaking the magnificent acts and, and declarations of God in their own language. Tongues is demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit that he can even use um, the low and the poor and the uneducated and give them the ability to speak in new languages. But the focus is on the prophetic, um, the prophetic inspiration to tell about Jesus and his kingdom to all the nations and all the world. That's what Acts chapter 2 verse 4 is about. The prophetic ability to speak to Jesus or speak about Jesus to people all over the world. And the gift of tongues here is saying that The the gift of tongues is also reminding the apostles of what Jesus already said. It's reminding them that they are not supposed to stay in Jerusalem, but they are to take this message of Jesus, the message of what God did, and they're they're supposed to take it to the ends of the earth. So this is a reminder of what Jesus said, what the purpose of the Holy Spirit was in the beginning. And one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that Paul teaches about in, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 is speaking in tongues, which can have private benefits and church-wide benefits. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that Sunday morning with the gifts of the Holy Spirit with Pastor Steve. Um, so it has private and church-wide benefits. But that's not the focus of what Luke is talking about here in Acts. The tongues that the apostles spoke, it wasn't a heavenly prayer language where they were just praying privately to God. But what they were speaking in that moment was known languages around the world. Jews from all over the world, they stopped and they heard them speaking in their own language. Now think about that. These people, they were Galileans. Like the, the, the people up there, um, Peter, James, John, all of them, they were Galileans. And that's basically a, a way to say these people were hillbilly rednecks from the hills, you know. Um, these people are from Inola. These people are from Arkansas. Like think about it. But put that in our own context. 
It's hillbilly rednecks in Arkansas in a big city speaking fluent, beautiful French or Spanish or Chinese better than any person could speak French, Spanish, or Chinese. And, they, and people are stopping. People in this big city, I think about French people and Chinese people stopping and be like, why are these hillbillies speaking Chinese? My language so good that it sounds like they're from China. Why are these people speaking French so good that it sounds like they're from France? And why are they declaring what God had just done, the, the magnificent acts of God? That's the, how confused the people were. Like, how are these Galileans speaking our own native language? In verse um, 8, it says, how is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And that was the purpose. Jesus says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll be my witness. You'll declare what I'm doing to the ends of the earth. And now people from the ends of the earth are coming to them, hearing the magnificent acts of God. And they're asking themselves, what does this mean? God is doing something special here. And that's what next week's message is about. Peter, he stands up and he says, let me tell you what this means. And it says 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And the, the purpose of that is that all these people from all over the world, they hear about Jesus. And now, within a few weeks of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead, people are going, all, are going back home. They're going back to Rome. They're going back to Egypt saying, God is doing something special. I heard about this Jesus guy. And now the church is expanding. The Holy Spirit's job is to make Jesus famous. He does this by always pointing back to Jesus, who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, what that means for us. The Holy Spirit is the spiritual agent that comes inside of us and transforms us to become more like Jesus. And he is the agent that empowers us to share the world-changing message of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is. The Holy Spirit's job is more to, than to give you the gift of speaking in tongues, even though that is a real gift. And like I said, it has private benefits, it has church-wide benefits when there's an interpretation of tongues. All that's in the Bible, all that's real. But more than that, the Holy Spirit's job is to transform you, to make you look more like Jesus and empower you to change the world by sharing Jesus. The Holy Spirit is for everybody, and the Holy Spirit is inside every Christian, but the Holy Spirit can also be poured out more on you in different waves and different doses as you seek God more. But the Holy Spirit is, is a part of every regeneration and every renewing part. And the purpose is to make Jesus famous. Like that's why that's our purpose. Like why are we saved? Why do we allow the God to change and transform us? Our purpose is to make Jesus famous. It's to partner with Jesus to reverse the curse of sin in the lives of our friends and family by sharing with everybody who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he did in your life, and then what he can do in their life as well. It is, that is the purpose of us being saved. It's to partner with Jesus, to reverse the curse. It's to share Jesus. So that's my challenge for you. Before we even get to the last part, share Jesus. Share the kindness of God. Share that Jesus died for your friends and family the same way that he died for you. 
Sharing Jesus is the same thing as sharing hope. Share hope. People should see hope oozing off of you. And like, why are you so hopeful right now? Why are you so hopeful? You guys have probably heard it said, um, like, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I, I heard that when I was in high school. I'm like, that's perfect. That means live your life in such a way by preach the gospel with the way you live that it begs the question, what happened to you? Why are you so hopeful? Share Jesus. That is sharing hope. You're sharing life. You're sharing freedom. You're sharing joy. Your friends and family, they have a right to know. If Alyssa, you want to go ahead and come up on the keys. Share Jesus. And don't think that you have to have everything figured out. I was just listening to a podcast this morning. It's kind of a, a funny deal how that happens. But they're saying, like, share the message of Jesus. That means you don't have to have everything figured out. Like, where do I start? How do I share Jesus? If you found somebody who needed bread, like they were just dying of hunger, and you had bread, and you could share it with them, like this will help you. Like you wouldn't stop and think, okay, how do I explain how this helps them? Okay, well you eat the bread, and then your saliva, it dissolves it, and you chew it. It gets to smaller pieces. Then it goes into your stomach, and then in your stomach, it begins to dissolve, and then it goes into your intestines, and it uses, it goes into all your body, and then your body uses the nutrients, and then you'll feel better. You won't do that. You'll be like, here, I have life take and eat and you will feel better. That's what sharing Jesus like is about. It's like, I have hope. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know what it means, but I believed in Jesus. He changed my life. I feel alive and you need to feel alive too. You take it. Accept Jesus. Repent of your sins. Surrender to him. The Holy Spirit's job it's to change you and it's to empower you to share that message. And then whenever you share that message, when you say, you need Jesus, come come to church, come, come find out, come experience what I experience, and then it becomes the Holy Spirit's job to change them. It's not your job anymore to, to change them. It's your job to plant the seed. Then it's the Holy Spirit's job to change them and then to empower them to also share the mission. That's how this works. Holy Spirit is for every Christian. And it's not two distinct experiences. The Holy Spirit, it's one Holy Spirit, but you can experience them in more and deeper ways as you seek God more. Titus chapter three, Paul, he's writing to Titus. He's explaining how the Holy Spirit, he's explaining how the Holy Spirit changes us and what the role of the Holy Spirit is. So, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. That first part, he says, when Jesus, like when, when God had so much kindness and love, he loved us enough to die for us, he saved us. And it, look what it says. It says, not by works of righteousness, but what we've done. Like it's not because he, he didn't save us because you were good enough. He didn't save yourself because, or save you because you got yourself to church. He didn't save you because you were perfect, but according to his mercy. And then here's the, the theology part. Through the washing of regeneration renewal of, by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. When you accept Jesus, Jesus is pouring out his Holy Spirit on you abundantly. Why? So that having been justified by grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. The Holy Spirit 
It's not a scary topic. It's not, like, I, I don't know about the whole tongue thing. I don't know about what's going on there. The Holy Spirit is more than that. The Holy Spirit is about changing and transforming you. Jesus is poor, wants to pour out his spirit on you abundantly, it says. Why? So that you can be justified by grace. So that when in God's eyes, it looks like you are sinless. But more than that, so that we can have hope of eternal life. That we can have hope of eternal life. So, so tonight, the Holy Spirit is poured out on every Christian abundantly through Jesus. He is regenerating you. He is renewing you. So tonight, let's go back to that question that we started off with. Tonight, don't be satisfied with where you feel like you are with God. Don't be satisfied with your relationship that you think that you have it good enough. Ask yourself that hard question. Is my life different? After coming to church for two weeks now, for a month now, for a year now, is my life different? Does it look more like Jesus? Or am I going through the emotion or the, through the motions? If it doesn't, ask yourself, why does it? Why haven't I surrendered to Jesus? Why haven't I gone all out? And if it does, if you can answer the question, back, I, my life does look more like Jesus. Like I started coming a year ago, I got saved, I got baptized. I find myself having more joy, more hope. How can it look more like Jesus? That's the question you should ask. How can I go deeper into that? So now here's the bottom line. Here's the main point. The worship team, they're gonna come up and help lead us acapella style again. Seek to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing you should seek. When you come up to pray, when you come up to kneel at the altar, say, God, transform me, make me new, make me like you, continue to use me, to continue to pour out your spirit on me. Seek the power of the Holy Spirit. Second, seek to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then seek to be used by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in the world. That's what I want you guys to pray for tonight when you're praying to receive the Holy Spirit. If you want to receive more power, if you want to seek a deeper transformation, a deeper experience, Jesus wants to pour out his spirit on you abundantly. It's not gonna look the same for every person. But if that's your desire, then I want you to seek that tonight by coming up to the stage, kneeling. If you want a deeper experience, you want me to pray for you, come and ask me to pray for you. And I would love to anoint you with oil, to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit, but seek to be transformed. Seek to be empowered and seek to be used to make a difference in the world. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit and your empowering inside of us. God, I pray tonight you change and transform us. God, I pray for every student who seeks you, every student who asks you for the Holy Spirit, transform them from the inside out, empower them to be used to make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone, I'm going to ask you to stand up.